Hello, it's Paul Scott here again for a second time this weekend, uh, talking about UK small caps again. So I'm uh, I'm been a professional investor in small caps now for 21 years, been involved in the market uh, in total about 30 years, and of course I write the daily um, small uh, uh, what's it called <laughs> small cap value report on Stockopedia.com. No, I haven't been on the eggnog at all. I'm just having a cup of tea here. Uh, just a slight touch of brain fog there. Never mind. So I'm recording this on Sunday the 17th of December. So this is to bring us up to date. So I'll be covering um, the small cap value reports from Monday the 11th to, uh, what does that work out at? Friday the, uh, whatever it is, 15th, I think. Now, uh, yes, so there was an earlier podcast that I recorded two days ago that was a week late so this should bring us up to date if I can get my brain into gear. <laughs> right uh, Monday 11th of December 2023 um, we looked at three companies all three actually quite interesting. Uh, Synectics now this I, I spotted was um, ahead of market expectations trading update so I rushed out a comment on it just before 8 a.m which is what we try to do when we do our initial 7 a.m. trawl of the RNS. Graham and I have a, a shared Google Doc that we both update in real time, and we try and focus on things that are ahead of expectations, because obviously those are your potential buying opportunities that we want to get a comment in at 8 a.m., and also similarly for profit warnings. So the one I spotted that looked material ahead was called Synectics, SNX. Now I've followed this company for donkey's years. It's a bit of a kind of also ran CCTV company, if that, I hope that's not too uh, 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 damning with faint praise, but um, it's, it's, it's been a multi-bagger, but it's come all the way back down again. So at the time I wrote this comment, it was only £1.5p. That was just before the market opened. 19 million market update, uh, market cap. But I really liked the um, trading update, positive update, and the broker has increased uh, forecast expectations. It's got a strong balance sheet, unusually strong actually for the size of company. With net cash, it pays reasonable dividends dividends and it also flagged an increased order book. Now historically Synectics was quite heavily focused on the oil and gas industry. Don't ask me why, it just was selling CCTV to them. Well of course that sector is coming alive again after years of underinvestment and the, the need for uh, energy security now after which very much flagged by Putin's invasion of Ukraine and all the disruption to energy markets that's caused globally. Uh, but I've concluded here with Synectics, not the most exciting company, but the shares look cheap. I think this looks a nice entry point. Now, looking at the... But I did question whether stale, stale bulls might sell into the liquidity, because you do find that with some companies um, that uh, put out positive news. You know, the news can come out and then they just start drifting it down again after the initial uh, sort of hit from the good news. As it has in benefit. But with Synectics, that doesn't seem to have happened, and it ended the week at £1.55. So that's a 50% gain in one week, which is phenomenal, isn't it? That's recouped all of the losses in the last year. I'm um, just zooming it. Uh, in fact, that's taken it to a three year high in one fell swoop. That's amazing, isn't it? So again, it emphasizes the fact that with a lot of these illiquid small caps, you have to be in it to win it. But of course, you have to also take. Uh, the profit warning risk by being in them, as you don't know that they're trading well. So it's just a lottery. But I think with 
15 to 20 shares typically in, in, in most people's portfolios in this sort of space. You're nicely diversified. You'll get, you'll get a handful of profit warnings, but you'll also get a handful of takeover bids and ahead of expectations updates. And it all tends to balance off, I think. Anyway, that's Synectics. Uh, what did I look at next? Oh, Quartix, as in with a Q, ticker QTX. This is the telematics company. Uh, now that continued dropping, it dropped 3% to £1.50. Now this was an update on an acquisition it made only in September called Connetic. Um, now the founder, Andy Walters, who I know, I've met him at a couple of conferences, great guy. Now he's back in charge and I put here, he's Andy well, founder Andy Walters is back in charge and kicking ass, as in A-double-S. I don't know why you'd want to kick your donkey, but um, there we are. Now uh, he's had a boardroom clear out and the update um, on the 11th of December basically said the acquisition made in September hasn't worked and um, they're going to restructure. It was only about two and a half million, something like that, but it basically used up the cash pile. But Quartix is very cash generative, so I think it will replenish uh, its cash pile naturally from cash generation. I've asked, is it, I like getting into recovery situations where a founder comes back from retirement, um, but I don't see immediate value in Cortex Technologies, QTX, right now. It's on about 19 times forecast earnings, despite the shares having dropped right back to where they were five years ago. But I was talking to uh, Megan and Ed from Stockopedia HQ about this. And as we was, as they were saying to me, you know, you're getting a, a, a bigger, better company now for the same money that you had to pay for it in 2018. So I think this is one to keep on my radar, Cortex Technologies, for a potential recovery. And I'm hoping to meet up with uh, the uh, founder for a beer in uh, February. It's got to be February because I do dry January every year and I don't really want to meet people uh, to have a Diet Coke. That doesn't sound exciting at all. <laughs> so and anyway, he's got a 22% stake in it. So I look forward to meeting up with um, the founder in um, early 2024. Maybe I, I can get him on as a, for a CEO interview on my podcast channel. I'll ask him at the time. So moving on then, Surface Transforms, SCE. This is the, obviously the high-end ceramic brake discs company that's got a gigantic hundreds of millions order book but is having real problems scaling up production. And like so many Blue Sky companies, it didn't raise enough cash. They didn't have a, a, a cash buffer, a contingency. And like all uh, Blue Sky companies, it takes longer and costs more money to uh, reach the goal that they're looking for. And they really, really sell close to the wind this time. So I commented on uh, Monday the 11th about this, saying at 10.6p per share, Surface Transforms announced the results of the open offer, which was positive, it was oversubscribed, and it's raised 2.7 million in quite a complicated fundraise, which was conditional, most of it was conditional, on a proposed £13 million capex loan. Now, as I've been saying repeatedly, you know, uh, we don't know who the, the lender is. We don't know what the term... I think they did put out what the terms were, but the main thing is it hadn't been signed off by the lender. And I was saying, you know, look, you're not going to get £13 million for capex when you're a cash-burning... Um, when you're a cash-burning blue-sky company. So we need to know, you know, we need to get this loan signed off 
to trigger then the conditionality on the um, the main part of the 8 million placing. I think 6 million was conditional and the 2.7 million open offer was also conditional on the loan being signed off. So I barely finished writing this section, published it, that a second RNS came through saying, yes, the loan's been agreed. Anyway, it turns out it was from a quasi-governmental body, some sort of um, regional, uh, you know, uh, 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 funding um, group, I think in the Liverpool area or Warrington area. Uh, anyway, that's great news that the um, that the loan has been signed off uh, according to the company, so we have to assume that's true. It'd be very, very irregular if it wasn't, I'm sure it is. And uh, the rest of the fundraising package should now go ahead. So I think risk-reward on surface transforms has just dramatically improved for the better. Uh, although you have to bear in mind, until the shares are officially issued on the stock market, then the market cap shown on Stockpedia and all other uh, financial sites will be on the old share count. So I do cover that in my report, and I put the numbers to it on Monday the 11th. I've covered this in quite a lot of detail, uh, so I'm happy, basically, now the loan has been signed off and it's gone unconditional. Now I think risk reward is a lot better. Um, and we'll see how long they take until they burn through the latest fundraise and need to come back for more money. Because they, as they admit themselves, they, they don't have anywhere near enough um, uh, funding to get to the, the sort of end point. Uh, so they'll just have to hope we're in a bull market next time they run out of money. But anyway, I do like Surface Transform, and I'm really glad it survived, actually, because at one point it looked like it could go bust. You know, surely Britain can actually get a few of these uh, promising early-stage companies over the over the line and into successful, profitable operation. We're so bad at that in this country. And yet, you know, billions is allocated to uh, all sorts of other things that, uh, you know, you just see such bad misallocation of capital generally in Britain. Um, anyway, look, there we are. Now, Begbie's trainer put out interims as well on Monday the 11th. I looked at those, but later on in the week. Uh, RBG Holdings, now I half wrote a section on this but didn't get around to finishing it. They've refinanced uh, a very substantial facility with HSBC, which I think is actually bigger than the market cap. This is this accident-prone firm of lawyers where all sorts of things have gone wrong. Uh, there was an update on Convex Capital as well. It might be worth a fresh look, that one. I'm not generally a fan of these um, listed legal firms because... They seem to be very careless with the equity, and I think legal firms are generally run for the benefit of the staff and the partners. I don't think it sits comfortably with having a stock market listing. But anyway, RBG Holdings is so cheap now, if you treat it as a special situation for, for risk takers only, it could be worth a look. And then there was also Coral Products Interims, we didn't get around to looking at that, sorry. Press the wrong button. Yes, that's recording. Right, Tuesday, uh, Graham did Tuesday's report. Thanks ever so much, Graham. This was 12th of December, 2023. He covered three quite interesting companies. There was S&U. This is the specialist lender, I think, isn't it? Uh, is it S&U? Um, oh, yes, that's it. Collections and repayments are ahead of budget, but defaults are increasing. Anyway, look, Graham shifted. I think he was green on this. I think he shifted to amber on account of more, um, more bearish... <laughs> he says here, the chairman sounds more, even more bearish and exasperated than usual. I <laughs> love it, Graham. He's got, Graham's got such a good turn of phrase. I, he could usually uh, put in a, a sort of deadpan joke into one or two things, uh, which I enjoy greatly. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, he's just saying he's a, he's a little more cautious on that one. Um, so see Tuesday, 12th of December's report for that. Now, Graham also covered Headlam, H-E-A-D. This is the floor coverings thing, the biggest UK distributor of carpets and um, floor coverings. He said a small miss, broadly in line. So, yeah, we know what that means, doesn't it? Slightly below forecast. Uh, Graham's amber on this one. I've, I used to be green on it. I think I'm probably amber now as well, simply because Headlam, you know, it's got this fabulous balance sheet with huge freehold property assets, which makes me very comfortable with the uh, safety of investing in this company. But from all the um, evidence we can see, uh, it does look as if they're suffering competitive uh, pressures, maybe from Likewise, which is another listed floor covering specialist which uh, is run by a former CEO of Headlam so he's just basically copying it and undercutting it I think so um, I don't think Headlam's ever said anything specific about competitive pressures excuse me but it must be an issue there um, but I do I do think for a recovery Headlam does look interesting maybe just not quite yet I don't know Finally, Graham looked at MS International, MSI. This is one of my favourites, as regulars know, and it's a stock I do hold personally and have done for a while. Um, oh, to my shame, I haven't even looked at the figures properly yet. I just ran through the headlines, but Graham did. He ran through the half-year report, and as he says here, actually, Paul and I have, this is Graham speaking, Paul and I have consistently championed this one, and it's pleasing to see that it's delivering for shareholders. Oh, I just remembered, I did look at the accounts. Yes, I did, actually. Sorry, I forgot. Interim accounts are very strong, and the outlook statement's very good. It's on the back of some uh, large uh, defence orders that it's won, from the US Navy and other. And my um, my expert on this stock, who um, informally advises me um, somewhere else, is, is, is as bullish as ever on it. And he said um, he thinks it's gonna produce very, very good accounts over the next few years. So he's saying that he's running with it and even buying more. Anyway, the shares have, have done very well. They're now £8.82. So I think with that one, well, yeah, Graham's marked it green. And I think I agree, even though I only skim read the accounts. So that's Tuesday's report. Oh, I should say there were three or four companies we didn't get around to looking at. Character Group, Finals, Sasanda. I know a lot of people have, well, several people have asked me to look at that one again, half year results. Uh, I don't know. I've kind of lost interest a bit in Sasandar when they suddenly announced they were not going to make three million profit this year. They were going to make nothing, and I and they're going to completely change change their strategy. Which I'm still processing that actually. Um, but the market cap's only thirty five million. And it's got plenty of cash, so I don't know. We'll see. I can see the logic for Sasandar opening a relatively small number of high street stores because they know from their extensive database of their customers online they know exactly where the customers are don't they and it's going to be in towns like Guildford and Chichester you know more affluent places um, and actually some of these places you can get uh, uh, very good packages from landlords for opening new stores several companies uh, have recently said conditions are still very very good for acquiring new shop units but I'm just a little bit worried that Sasandar don't really have any in-house retailing experience um, but that's what people said about them going into the online stuff, and they've done very well at it. So I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't bet against Sasandar, but I've, I'm not, I'm not as positive on it as I was because the facts have deteriorated. That's the way I look at it. Anyway, character group, yeah, I mentioned that. Vionet, not interested in that one. So uh, we didn't. Oh, and FRP Advisory put out its interims. So sorry we didn't look at those, but none of them really. Um, 
particularly jump out as uh, interesting. Right, on to Wednesday 13th of December 2023. We covered, how many is that? Six companies, I think it is. So I commented briefly on Smart Space Software, SMRT. Now this rose 113% on Tuesday uh, this week, so that'd be the 12th of December, on a takeover approach. The company um, said, no, uh, I, th I think it was right, the potential bidder actually announced to the market directly that it had um, approached smart, smart space several times and been rebuffed. Now this raises the question yet again about companies not disclosing takeover approaches. Where it's a, a credible bidder and it's a big premium, I think they should be obliged to announce that because that is highly price sensitive information. So of course it means there's been a false market in smart space space software shares for some time so people who've been selling you know 35 40p were being ripped off because there was material information that you know some people would have known about and you know of course there's insider dealing with these things there always is i think and um you know they've been they've sold at an undervaluation so uh I, yet again i think the takeover rules have been called into question and do need to be reformed i think companies must announce to the market if they've had a credible takeover approach anyway uh, smart space software responded on the wednesday which i covered here saying that it's now consulting major shareholders i think the approach is at 82p um I think it's a generous offer. Well, it obviously is. It's over 113% or something like that. It might be 140% above the previous share price. So of course it's a generous offer. It's no good people saying it's not a generous offer. It is. It's a huge premium to the market price. Now, um, that's just, you know, you can't argue with that. Now, do you, but, but this, I know some shareholders say, oh, I think it's worth more than that long term. Well, that you, you could be right. But, um, uh, you know, it's uh, and it's certainly below the 2021 highs for the price but you know shareholders are now in a very difficult position if if you if you say no to the takeover bid then uh you know it is obviously going to drop it's got a bid premium in the price it may not drop as far it may not go right back to the old share price but when bids uh, fall through the share price usually does go most of the way back down um and with this particular one you can't sell in the market anything like the offer price. I think the market bid was only about 65p, which is a long way short of the 82p uh, potential takeover bid. I couldn't find anything much out about the bidder. It's an Australian firm that looks to be in, in, the, in very much the same line of business. So effectively, it's a trade buyer. But I couldn't find any financial information about the Australian bidder because I don't really know where to look. I checked it on Stockopedia because I've got the Australian module, but I don't think it's a listed company. Anyway, very interesting situation there. Uh, I'd be surprised if the major shareholders do turn down the bid. Um, maybe they'll push the company to try and get it sweetened a bit more. Who knows? But it's a fascinating situation. I can honestly say, though, with smart, smart space software, I don't really understand what the bulls see in this share. I've looked at it lots of times. Other than the fact that it has got quite strong recurring revenue growth and it seems to have stemmed its losses. So maybe people are looking at it and, um, uh, well, bulls can put up a comment if they want to on Stockopedia to say, well, why were you interested in the company, given that it was so small and heavily loss-making? You know, it, 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 it's obviously the case that they've done deeper research and found out about the product. I actually mystery shopped it via a friend who runs an office building. He said to me he had them in 
uh, to do a demo and he was very unimpressed. So maybe I was clouded by that. But anyway, uh, well done to Holders because you got it right. Doesn't matter why you got it right. <laughs> this this game's all about making money. So well done to uh, Holders of Smart Space Software for the takeover bid. Now, HVivo, this is another one I like. Um, we've been reporting positively on this all year. HVO, it does something to do with um, testing of medicines and viruses, and it runs a, a facility where people are injected with, uh, you know, a virus, and then drugs are tried out on them. So I can't really explain it. It's something along those lines anyway. It seems to have a really interesting market niche, though, and I've watched webinars with management saying that, you know, they've almost got this market to themselves. Not quite saying that. but And certainly the growth and the contract wins in the last couple of years have been really, really impressive. We've flagged it a lot in, in Stockopedia. Anyway, it's announced here a 16.8 million contract value, uh, contract, sorry, and trading ahead of guidance. So again, I, I try, I think I got this report out early so people could act if they wanted to. And two brokers have updated their forecast, so you can refer to Research Tree for that. I said here, I think it looks in a very impressive growth company, and the valuation still seems reasonable. So again, uh, HVivo gets another thumbs up from me. I think that one's very worth your while doing some research on. I, I did hold some a while back, but I, I think I just got bored and moved on, which was a pity, actually, because it's worked out well this year. I might have to revisit that. Now, another positive update from a company called Volution, F-A-N. Uh, this is about an 825 million market cap company, so towards the top end of our of our range. We cover uh, 600 companies in total, which these days is, is getting on for half of the whole UK market, which is pretty surprising, isn't it? Um, it's a big workload, though, I can tell you. But anyway, the AGM trading update came out. Graham reported on this. He likes it. It's... Um, a designer and manufacturer of ventilation systems. Now, it says it's got some quite an interesting stuff in the update, saying that it's got uh, indus industry tailwinds from, um, you know, the need for better ventilation systems in a lot of older buildings to stop things, you know, damp and other situations like that. Well, funnily enough, we had a, a, a new ventilation system put into the building where I live, the block of flats I live in, Bournemouth. And do you know what? Since it went in, I've not had any condensation uh, inside the flat. So these things are uh, a no mould either, which is these, these things do work. Anyway, um, uh, strong indications of quality business is Graham's, conclu Graham's conclusion on Volution. So see Wednesday the 13th report for that one. I, I From memory, I'm... I think I quite liked it when I looked at it too. Now, this is another one I like. Cohort, C-R-H-T, which is a small collection of six defence-related technology businesses. Put out half your results, which I've described as solid. Uh, it has an H2 weighting, um, which is expected as usual. Trading in line with expectations, so no, nothing madly exciting. But... Um, Particularly noteworthy, I think, is the very, it's got a really nice strong balance sheet with net cash. Also, a huge order book running over many years. Uh, I've said here, though, if you want a decent quality business at a reasonable price, cohort looks worthy of consideration. So I'm maintaining my green traffic lights view on cohort, which, as always, are never recommendations. These are just our reaction to the current um, facts, figures and forecasts on that day. So we don't know what the future holds with any of these companies, remember. Uh, we just give a, a review of how we th see things on that day.
Uh, Springfield Properties, Graham had a, a look at, SPR. Scottish House Builder, only 86 million market cap. I haven't looked at this one myself, but anyway, it looks like the trading update's in line. Graham likes it, so he's concluded green on that one. Right on to Thursday, 14th of December's report. Now, this was when I uh, remembered that I'd written something about Baby's Trainer early on in, on in the week. So I put that up, uh, which um, was all to do with... This is obviously the middle market uh, insolvency practitioner, which are these specialists who are sort of hybrid accountants stroke lawyers. It's an interesting sector, very high margins in insolvency practitioners, because they make it incredibly difficult to actually become an insolvency practitioner. I remember when I was in my days at Price Waterhouse, even some of the managers and senior managers in the insolvency department hadn't finished completing their exams because they were so bloody difficult. And it's a bit like with, I didn't finish my uh, chartered accountancy exams because uh, they were so difficult and I just wasn't interested in knowing all the ins and outs of you know, opening and closing year tax rules and things. It just sent me to sleep. And I didn't have the self-discipline to do them because I preferred spending my time in nightclubs. So in my 20s, so there we go. Um, but I looked at Begbie's trainer interim results and basically in a, the profits nearly all come from adjustments. And I've said here that when Graham and I um, went on a Zoom with the FD, we sort of understood it, but I can't remember what the answer was now, so that means I didn't particularly understand it. Anyway, Graham subsequently mentioned, uh, contacted me and said he thinks he does understand it after all. So we might have to ask Graham to uh, clear the fog of what all these adjustments on deemed remuneration actually mean, because I'm finding it very difficult to get my head around it. Now, the, the, the long, and, long and the short is this. If you're happy with the adjustments that Begbie's trainer makes to its accounts, then the shares are cheap. They're on a, a, a modest PE. Um, there's no balance sheet support. It's not a, a problem balance sheet, but it's not strong either. So it's uh, cash flow and adjusted profits is what underpins the share price, not the balance sheet. Um, but if, if, like me, you're, you're not really sure what the adjustments are and whether they're uh, valid or not, then the shares don't look so cheap. So it's up to you. Anyway, we'll ask Graham if he can clear the fog on that, because that might be helpful. I don't want people to start asking for their money back because we've got a couple of analysts who don't know how to, who don't understand the figures. But I think that's probably for only one or two companies in the whole market. So anyway, there we are. That's Begbie's. Could be cheap. And it's got a, it's got a strong tailwind now from, for the next few years, really, from uh, zombie companies looking to sort of finally be put out of their misery due to interest rates being so much higher now. Although I'll come on to that in a minute. That may not necessarily be the case for much longer. Who knows? Now, I had a look at Capita, CPI. This is the giant outsourcing business that does all sorts of things for government. It's had numerous problems over the last few year, years and destroyed uh, uh, most of the shareholder value there. Anyway, it's starting to look like it might be a turnaround. I flagged this before. I looked at it a few weeks ago. And it's put out an 11-month trading update, which doesn't really seem to add anything much to what it's previously told us. And it didn't say whether they're trading in line or not. One of these sort of over-PR'd announcements that... Uh, treats us treats us all um, like we're idiots by not telling us what we specifically need to know. But anyway, I've got amber green on it, which is mildly positive. I did like the bit over the pension overpayments coming to an end fairly soon. It gives us chapter and verse on that, because the actuarial 
deficit, which is the one that matters, that's the one that actuarial is the one that drives the cash payments, not um, the accounting one. Anyway, so uh, that looks interesting. And they've also previously announced £60 million of cost savings. So I think Capita could be an interesting turnaround. Although I haven't really done enough work on it to be sure, but I'm flagging it to you to say over to you. This looks potentially interesting. Do some more in-depth research and you never know. Let me know what you think, as always. Graham looked at S3, the staffing company, S-T-E-M. Uh, we've always liked this one. Uh, Graham's still positive on it. Um... I'm not quite so sure on that one because I don't know what the latest update said, but I was the previous updates earlier this year did introduce some doubt, I think. Um, but anyway, Graham's uh, remains keen on it, so have a look at Thursday's report for that, 14th of December. I had a look at Curry's. Now, I've been very negative about Curry's in the past. I looked at its interim results. There are still big problems here. It's got a weak balance sheet, a very cash hungry pension deficit. Um, and, um, you know, uh, uh, it was a loss-making H1, but it's expect expected to eke out a small full-year profit. This is the electricals retailer. Now, you're, you're, but I'm starting to see potential upside. It's high risk. Don't be under any doubts. It's high risk. After this Greek disposal that's currently pending, um, they've sold a Greek business for about £175 million. Now, that could really uh, improve the situation. Obviously, it means it loses the Greek division's profits, but they weren't that much anyway. And um, I'm not as negative as I was. I think, providing they can keep the trade creditors happy and the credit insurance companies, which is a big question mark, then they can keep the plate spinning. Actually, uh, inventories and receivables put together are not far short of the total trade creditors figure. So you could argue that the deficit on working capital there is quite small given the size of the business. Um, and it's still just about profitable. So anyway, I've moderated my view from red to amber red um, because of this disposal of the Greek uh, uh, subsidiary. So Curry's, and it rose 11% on the day to 50p. And you've got potential consumer upside. I think we should be gearing up for a consumer recovery because the consumer confidence numbers are, are, are steadily improving, you know. Um, inflation's now back down below wage growth. You're going to get a big increase in a lot of people's incomes. The 2% national insurance cut is kicking in in January. And in April, you're going to get large increases in pensions and uh, what was the other thing? Benefits, payments and the living wage all going up about eight or nine percent. Well, by that stage, inflation will probably be down to about four percent or maybe three and a half or something. So you've got a huge increase in disposable incomes coming in. Um, I know there's 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 a drag from from fiscal drag on on freezing of personal allowances. So it's not all one way. But <clears throat> it seems to me we've got a very clear evidence that uh, uh, the consumer could start to spend with more robustness in 2024. And for companies like Curry's, you, where you've got 9 billion revenues and wafer-thin margins, you know, you could see geared upside on the, on the profit number. Although I did see in the press, the head of Curry's has complained about business rates and I think he was also moaning about the how much it's going to cost them in living wage. So they've also got headwinds, you know. Um, so it'll be very interesting how all this pans out. I don't know. Now, I had a look at a new one for us called Ensilica, E-N-S-I. This dropped 24% on a profit warning. Uh, 
and a placing. It did a placing, I think, at 40p. But I've got I've never looked at it before, but the dilution is only between 5 and 10%, depending on whether the warrants attached are exercised or not. So I'm actually not that bothered by the placing it's done, but I am concerned that it needed to do a placing at all, because that's very much out of kilter with what it said in a trading update just two weeks ago, which didn't indicate any shortage of cash, and, you know, talked in a very upbeat way about its order book. Anyway, it claims to have a massive sales pipeline. It does something to do to do with chip design, I think. Um, <clears throat> but I, <clears throat> excuse me, but I can't see any visibility there, and and I am a bit perturbed that it need to come back to the money for more market for more cash. I did have a look at the previous accounts, and what I spotted is that uh, Encilica is capitalising a huge amount of its development spend onto the balance sheet. So although it's reporting adjusted profits. Um, it's cash hungry, it's burning cash, which is a concern. But anyway, the market cap's down to 27 million, which is way below, uh, I think it's a new all-time low. It was a 2022 float, May 2022, that hasn't really worked very well. So another um, oh, another poor IPO. No wonder the IPO, IPO market's dead, because these brokers just, they did a terrible job in uh, 2021 in particular. And of course people are not going to come back for more new issues when they've been stitched up with a load of really bad IPOs. So I'm sorry, but the, but the brokers brought this downturn on themselves, I'm afraid. We need to see much, much better quality uh, IPOs or, you know, London's just going to die die out as a, as, a, as, a, uh, as a market where you've got liquidity and sensible companies on there. And we're having so many companies being bought out. You know, what's, what are we going to be left with? So big, big uh, errors of judgment, I think, there in the city. And you can't blame Brexit uh, because all the data shows that actually that hasn't made a sort of difference to the economy overall. And we're doing better than a lot of European countries, as it turns out. So there we are. Graham had a look at Music Magpie, MMAG. We do not like this company. Um, it put out a pre full year pre-close trading update. Um, uh, EBITDA in H2 was significantly higher than H1. But, you know, the EBITDA is meaningless. We just don't like the business model here because it's losing money. It's making an adjusted PBT, which is loss making, despite the fact that it's spending on uh, buying all these secondhand mobile phones to rent out. At the end of the day, you've got to make money from renting them out, which it's not. Uh, and it puts out confusing updates, sort of, which seem to sort of double count the rental income and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter about the debt because we've got this level of rental income coming coming in that almost covers it. Yeah, but the point is, it's the P&L that matters, not the rental income that's going into a loss-making P&L. So we're just, you know, we just think the figures at Music Magpie, MMAG, MMAG, they just don't stack up. We've got nothing against the company or the management. The figures don't work for us, so we're 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 staying red on that on the basis of the figures. Just have a look at the broker notes, and you'll see it doesn't make any money. Well, the bank are not going to be happy continuing to lend to a business that loses money, are they? What didn't we cover on Thursday? Oh, RM. This is the rather strange collection of businesses uh, serving the educational sector that Richard Staveley's talked a lot about in his. Um, broadcasts recently, who's very much the man of the moment, part of the Harwood stable, who's performing tremendously well and triggering, catalyzing lots of uh, uh, takeover bids for their portfolio companies. Well, anyway, RM put out an inline update. I think Graham and I sort of, we didn't specifically talk about it, but I think we both decided it was probably a bit too complicated and would take too long to unravel that one. I've never particularly seen much in it in the past, but, you know, if Richard Staveley sees upside there, it's worth having a look at.
Finally, again, we didn't get around to looking at driver. That put out prelims. I see the this is a very small consultancy group. Always seems to be sort of in a turnaround plan. Um, now, the market rose the shares 10%, so maybe that's worth taking a look. A little bit too small for us, though. Only 14 million market cap, and it, something has to go. We can't cover all the companies that are uh, up, give, giving out updates. We covered most of them on Thursday, though. Right, on to Friday 15th of December, so that was the, the most recent Friday, a couple of days ago. Now there are only two companies reporting, XL Media, which just doesn't interest me. I didn't want to waste time going through through that again. Uh, 20 million market cap, a serial disappointer, not interested, sorry. Unless the readers ask me to by saying, look, Paul, you know, there's loads of upside, this is why, blah, 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 which we do read all the reader comments, and if you flag stuff up to us with reasons as to why it's good, we do take notice, and we'll We'll, we'll we'll take a look. <gasps> Oops, excuse me. <laughs> oh, why does this always happen? Sorry. The one I did look at, which is only 33 million market cap, is Naked Wines, W-I-N-E. Now, regulars will know we've been pretty bearish on this for a long time, with the main problem being that its subscription wine um, seller, of course, um, um, its its inventories have run up to a gigantically overstocked level, and it had to take some provisions against those, which really opens up a can of you know this could potentially be a real can of worms with huge write offs necess necessary to inventories, which is a big risk when companies have very bloated inventories. You don't really know what's in there. The auditors may not spot the slow moving, or you know might have gone off, might have turned to vinegar. You just don't know. Anyway. So I was expecting to report negatively on this. Oh, well, actually, I did. Yes, I'm still red on Naked Wines, W-I-N-E, memorable ticker there. But actually, as I said in the commentary, there's a bit more to it than that. I've had to go red because the balance sheet, well, it had a, a material uncertainty going concern statement, which pretty much means I've got to be red. Uh, because that's telling you, you know, that this, this thing might go bust in the next year. That's what material uncertainty going concern statement means. And we've got to put um, flashing red light warning signs over companies like that because we don't want readers getting 100% losses. Uh, but within those, you can find some very strong recovery candidates. So I'm not saying, you know, don't invest in it. It's your call, you know. But but it's really to flag that some, if, we're, if we're red on it, it's high risk. So all we're saying is be careful. We're not necessarily saying avoid it altogether. Anyway, um, I was actually quite pleasantly surprised with the figures from Naked Wines. You'll have to see Friday's report for all the detail. The reason is that on an under, again, it's a company that does loads of adjustments. So I looked at all the adjustments and actually the most recent adjustments, they didn't do any further write-offs on the inventories. They actually released a small amount from the previous provision. Well, that's quite intriguing. Although remember, interim results are not audited. So we might have to take that with a bit of a pinch of salt. I don't know. I think the management and the and the results announcements of Naked Wines are always over-PR'd, over-exuberant. And, you know, again, I don't think that actually helps. I think it's um, quite counterproductive. Uh, the bottom line is, I think, this is only my view, remember, on an underlying basis, I think it's trading around break-even currently, which is not disastrous. The problem is, um, it sounds like they're going to have to refinance the, the, the borrowing facility, um, and the cash pile is reducing still, but not as fast as it was. And of course, that cash arguably is the customer's cash, because there's 80 million 
uh, credits, um, you know, deferred income credits on the balance sheet. So if all the customers decide to close their accounts and take the money out, it's bust. Now, one of the readers replied to me saying, oh, that's the wrong way of looking at it, Paul. You know, that's in, it's not going to happen. And, you know, da, 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 da. But the point is, when revenue is shrinking, which it is at Naked Wines by 20%, the working capital cycle goes negative. Um, so they use it up buying wines or they withdraw it and, you know, it's not good news, basically, having uh, revenue that's falling and they don't have enough money to spend on marketing to, to stem that. And they do this absolutely meaningless, meaningless thing at Naked Wines where they try and convince us that their repeat customers are fabulously profitable. But the company as a whole doesn't make any, any money because it's having to spend on marketing. But it's not stemming the flow of customers who are leaving. That's why revenues are down 20%. So the risk I see at Naked Wines is that the business could just slowly wither away. Um, uh, you know, and I don't think these wine subscription uh, business models really work. There's, there, there's strong competition, not just from the other ones. People tell me the why. Is it the... The White Times Wine Club or something is very good. You've got Virgin Wines as well, which uh, you know actually financially performs better than Naked Wines relative to the size of the two. And Naked Wines is stuffed with this huge wine lake of inventories, which has actually gone up. But they did so. Also, it prepays some of its um, wine growers. Got nearly 30 million in receivables, which is prepaid cash to wine growers, where it's sort of nurturing these small... Uh, vineyards um, around the world well I don't think it has the finances really to be able to afford to do that anymore but the interesting thing is in the narrative Naked Wines did say that it expects to be able to reduce the inventories by I think 50 to 60 million over the, the next 18 months well if they're successful in doing that then they turn the business around the question is whether they've got the time to do that before uh, you know the position with the borrowings uh, becomes critical which I don't think it is just yet so it could be an interesting turnaround naked wines but equally it's high risk so it's up to you to decide uh, you know which way you'll think it'll it'll go and the share I did flag up actually at 29p that this could be an interesting punt in a previous small cap value report um, a month or two ago and actually it has been it's up about 50 percent since then or might be slightly more than that now because i think it ended the week at about 50p so there has been a very nice roughly yeah it's roughly 60 percent isn't it um trading bounce on that one which i did flag to you a month or two ago so but it's not something i'd personally want to hold long term i nearly bought some actually myself at around 29p but i didn't have any money so I couldn't, which is a pity, because that was that would have been a nice a nice punt. Anyway, I think I'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your support, as always. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, building up for Christmas now. Basically, um, I'll be uh, me, me or Graham or both of us will be um, coming out with a report every day. The stock market is open over the next. Uh, couple of weeks in the run-up to uh, Christmas and New Year. So if the market's open, remember we have a couple of half days trading, don't we? Uh, I think that's usually Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, where the market shuts about 12 o'clock. So basically, even on a half day, if the market's open, we'll be putting something up. And I'm starting to prepare my 2024 watch list, um, because obviously the 2023 watch list has been a huge success. My uh, picks, my top 20, uh, outperformed AIM by 26%. That's a hell of a level of outperformance, so I'm delighted with that. And then my additional 12 items have outperformed the small caps 
main uh, market by about eight or nine percent. I just discovered actually a, a formula that was wrong in the spreadsheet that nobody else had spotted that was wrong. So I corrected that this weekend, but it actually went in my favour and increased my outperformance. So that's good. So I think it just goes to show that even though this year for the most of it has been a pretty awful one for, for small caps, you know, if you pick your shares carefully and you don't panic about downturns and you pick value and GARP type shares that are well financed, have good decent balance sheets and so on, you haven't really got anything to fear. I've been saying this all year and I think the Santa rally that we're seeing at the moment has very much um, proven that correct, that, you know, we shouldn't be uh, panicking about um, mark to market losses, that actually, you know what, um, you know, we have to ride out market downturns sometimes. And of course, we've had fabulous news this week from the US that have powered the Dow up to new all-time high, uh, which was the comments from the Fed, so I always forgot to say this, which I flagged up, I think, in Thursday's report, I'm sure you're all aware of it already, where the Fed is saying, actually, it's now set up to do three interest rate cuts in 2024. Now, as we know, the UK... Um, uh, central bank seems to just more or less blindly follow what the Fed does. And, but the, and, and it, it does appear to be the case that inflation in the UK is a little bit more sticky because, of course, the, uh, the government's fueling wage growth with uh, pre-election cuts, isn't it, and boosts to uh, pensioners and, and uh, uh, benefits recipients, which are going to, as I mentioned before, which are going to happen in April 2024. So I can understand that inflation in the UK might be a little bit stickier uh, uh, for a while. Um, but have you seen what has happened to sterling, which is now uh, um, getting a lot stronger, which of course will help suppress imported inflation if it stays at that level? And, you know, it could, we could get to a point where sterling uh, interest rates in the UK are too high and sucking in too much money. And this central bank might say, well, we're going to have to lower interest rates to get sterling down to a more sensible level. And also, have you seen, that was the point I was going to make, have you seen what's happened to 10-year gilts? Huge drop. Why does that matter? Well, it feeds through directly into um, mortgage remortgaging rates, which I'm delighted about. I was hoping this would happen, actually, um, because I've got two small mortgages that I need to refinance in uh, April. And I've been holding fire because I didn't want to lock in to a five or six percent fixed rate. Uh, uh, and the discounted rates aren't much lower either. So I thought, sod it. If I have to go on to a, a variable rate for a few months, I don't really care. I think the trajectory of interest rates was down and it looks like that's been a good call because I've seen the latest. Uh, I had a look on Money Supermarket and um, the, 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 the mortgage rates for, for remortgages and new, new borrowings are really dropping sharply. So this is very encouraging, I think. And it was exactly what I was hoping would happen. And that's been tremendously bullish for um, uh, uh, US equity markets, Germany and other foreign markets are booming. Meanwhile, it's even had a little bit of read, read across to UK small caps. So I think we're now in, in the ideal scenario to really um, go fully bullish, which I've been for months. I think I, I, I said back in September that, you know, I thought this was the time to be getting involved. You've got something like six trillion dollars on the sidelines in money market funds in the US. And the argument is, and it'd be probably a similar thing in the UK, I know loads of people who are still, still have significant amounts of their money in cash. I think, without giving advice, my opinion is this is absolutely the right time to be getting all that cash to work because, you know, the high interest rates on cash deposits 
are likely to to ebb away somewhat and um you know fear of missing out i think you're going to have a big surge potentially in uk small caps as all that money comes flowing back in that's been on the sidelines combined with all the takeover bids that are telling us look everything's cheap that's why the americans are buying up half the market you know i, I, I can't think i've ever seen a more bullish set of circumstances for uk small caps i think this is a fantastic time to be grabbing grabbing the ones that haven't moved you know, and maybe getting 30, 40, 50% gains on them and selling them and buying something else that hasn't moved. That's what I did in 2009 and it was in 2003 and it was incredibly lucrative. Um, so, yeah, I remain very, very excited by the value on offer in the UK. And, you know, if you sit on the sidelines, you'll miss the bids. Uh, you might miss some profit warnings as well. But actually, quite a few of the things that are warning on profits... It's particularly if it's a repeat profit warning, like we had with, say, Christie Group, where we had three or four profit warnings this year. It's almost like the law of diminishing returns. Each subsequent uh, profit warning doesn't seem to have that much impact. So you're getting to a point where I think, you know, anyone who's going to sell probably has sold with a lot of these things. Um, institutional redemptions might start to ease as the fund managers put out updates to their funds investors saying look actually we've turned the corner up but that's what they need to be doing don't they saying to people look the market's turned our, our performance stats are starting to improve it's been a very difficult two years but stick with us you know we're very optimistic about the future if they start communicating like that and you know then the fund holders may well stick stick with them and then they can start putting fresh cash to work and you get into that whole recovery cycle which i very much see uh f full size in front of us is recovery. That's what it seems to me for UK small caps specifically I'm talking about here. But there again, I am a permable, but I think uh, what's happening in the markets is starting to prove me right. So uh, let's hope so anyway. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. And I'll, I'll leave it there. Bye.